Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Thanks to StoryWorth for supporting Made for This. StoryWorth is a meaningful gift you and your family can treasure forever, and you can get started right away. Go to storyworth.com slash made for this to get $10 off your first purchase. All right, guys, Ben Stewart here today. I am so excited. Ben, you're one of my favorite humans. I I know that sounds like a really big statement, (laughs) but... You know, everybody here, I interview lots of people. I like a lot of people. You really are life-giving. Like whenever I'm around you, I just am, I want to hang out with you and Donna more because you two are just both on fire. There's something about you that like is always ready to go. Like let's, in the name of your new book, Rest and War, I'm like, I don't even know how perfect that is for you because you're so easy and yet it does feel like we're always about to go to war when I'm with you. So, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I love that. Well, yeah. Tell everybody about your family and kind of what you're doing right now. I will do that. And thank you, Jenny. We feel the same about you guys and we should hang out more. Like, yes. uh, But uh, yeah, we are not in Texas. We, we are Texans. Uh, my amazingly talented wife, Donna. We have three kids that are uh, two girls and a boy that are nine, eight, and six. So we tell people we're tired, but happy. But we live in Washington, D.C. We've been here for five years now, and we launched Passion City Church, D.C. about three and a half years ago. So we live right in the district and minister among some pretty amazing people in crazy days. And we love it. It's such a gift to be a part of passion and to be in DC. It's crazy, but we love it. Absolutely love it. So we're talking about this season, what it means to be a healthy person. And so, I mean, this is, it feels like it's right on topic for you. And we know that that doesn't stop with uprooting sin in our lives, that we're talking about what does it mean to actually change and to live forward. And so talk a little bit about what that means to you. I mean, those words are so loaded. What does it mean to change? Yeah, that's great. There's a lot you could say. I mean, I think of what Paul said to Timothy. He told him to flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, love, joy, and peace, along with those who call out to the Lord out of a pure heart. And I love that because it's one movement. I want you to go, Timothy, but it has these two parts. I want you to flee some destructive ways of thinking and ways of living. And I want you to pursue ways of thinking and living that promote intimacy with God and and promote human flourishing at every level. So there's this constant movement for the people of Jesus away from certain things towards other things. And I I tend to think of it, uh, Jenny, like um, Genesis, like many, was transformative for me. Genesis 2, looking at God's created intent for us. You know, he says he put the man in the garden to cultivate it and to keep it, you know, and it keeps a defensive word. It's a, it's, it's a fighting word. Uh, and you go, what's he keeping out of there? Well, there's a serpent on his way in, in the next chapter, but cultivate is impose your will on the materials under your control and arrange them in a way that maximizes flourishing. Like that's what a gardener does. I, I didn't create these things, but I, but I move around what I'm stewarding so that all life under my influence can maximally flourish. 
And I remember reading that and going, that's what I exist to do. So yeah, there's this defensive, like you said, uproot sin. I got to get things out of my life. But a big impulse in me is how do I arrange the materials under my control so that my kids flourish, my wife flourishes, I flourish. And it's this endless invitation from God to create environments where we all cultivate an intimacy with him and, and other people. And so there is that negative side, but you know, it's interesting when I, when I first bought a house, we, I mean, there was no grass. It was all weeds. That was it. And so I'm pulling all these weeds and, you know, it was at Texas A&M. So it's all these lawn and turf management guys. And they were like, man, you can pull all the weeds, but the, the best way to fight them is to prioritize the grass and just keep, keep planting it, watering it, fertilizing it, caring for it. And it will drive the weeds out, like focus on this cultivating. I'm like, man, you guys are preaching at me. So that that's really my life. So I'm giving you the Bible, Bible verses. We can get into specifics kind of personally, but I'm always on this adventure. I think all of us are to pursue that, which helps cultivate flourishing at every level under God. I think about the ways that looks throughout my life. And even just, I think the history of the church. And I think we live, we are pendulum people, right? Like we tend to swing from one thing to another and, oh no, you know, that's grace, you know, is everything. It's not legalism. And, and we just kind of go back and forth. And, and what I love about the book is this, this idea of shame. It's not motivated. Life change is not motivated by shame. And yet what you're saying right now is it's not licensed to just coast and let the Holy Spirit do all the work because that's other language we use in church too. It's it's this kind of cop-out of it doesn't require anything from us. And so you really, I want you to speak to both because I think they're both taking a truth too far, right? Which is what the enemy does so yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do think there's this wonderful sense of resting in our identity under God that I'm a child, I'm dearly loved. That's part of the work is constantly positioning myself to to receive that which is true and believe it. And so there is a work to that. I'm going, how do I position myself under him? And then how do I use every appointed means? That, that's what I love about Genesis. We're in the image of God and he's making, he's moving, he's doing, and we're meant to do the same, not for our glory, not just out of our strength, but by his strength, for his glory, I am a moral agent in the world. And I want to right. do something. And Jesus said that like, with the parable of the talents, pragmatiza, make a profit, do something with what I gave you. And uh, so I'm motivated by that, you know, and, and I just think, um, you know, for me, I grew up under a sanctification model that was, you pray and you're either entirely filled by the spirit or you're not filled by the spirit and you are just a mess. And it was, it was like a light switch. You're either in or you're out. You're either holy or you're a wreck. And there was no progress. And I remember J.I. Packer said it. He said it, it. that model simultaneously promises too much and too little. Yeah. It promises too much. Like you can be wholly perfect in a moment and it promises too little, but there's no progress. And um, I remember going to a class in seminary on John Owen and crying in the back mm -hmm. just because he was talking about life. Once you've received the grace of God is progress and struggle. Like it will always be a struggle. The enemy's always yeah. coming. He's, he's always moving at you. As soon as you block this punch, he's throwing another one. So there will always be a fight, but there can be progress. You can move forward. And so it sounds discouraging, but it's actually really encouraging because I'm like, oh, good, because I'm always struggling. So I'm not crazy. Great. That's good to know. Like the struggle's always coming, but I can make real progress. I can advance. I can 
see some sins that feel huge decrease. I can't get rid of them, but I can make them way better. Like I can improve as a human. That's awesome. So Donna and I bought a house here in DC. I'll tell the story really quick, but we bought this house. It had been abandoned for 20 years. Wow. And she had, uh, it was a porcelain doll factory, the downstairs. So uh, yes. all these little porcelain doll heads and hair. He and told me this. for 20 years, <laughs> they did not age well. So, I mean, it was just this terrifying, <laughs> yeah, house of misfit dolls that we, uh, you know, released into the wild. But uh, I think about it now and you're like, a house is always needing maintenance. There's something always breaking. This woodpecker was attacking my house today. So there's always work. But we are so far past terrifying dollhouse. So I'm like, look, it's always work, but there can be progress. And that was so life-giving to me. They're going, uh, I am a mess, but there can be substantial healing. That's an encouraging thought. And I love that. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is so hopeful to people because it does feel like a lot of the language Paul uses, specifically Paul, is so dramatic, right? It's like, you know, you see, see sinning. Like if you still sin then you're not even a Christian. You know, there's just a lot of language that feels really, you know, intense. And what he means by that is is loving to sin and and staying in a place of sin where rather than fighting it, right? So talk about that for a little bit because it it does feel like sometimes you read specifically Paul and you feel a lot of pressure or gosh, am I even a Christian? Which I don't think is a bad question to ask. But at the same time, I think what you're saying is no, it's it's that, and it's not going to be up and to the right, but it's going to be a process, not a once and for all, or it's both and really. I mean, yeah, you know, I was just studying second Timothy and Paul is um, encouraging Timothy and he's using all this war imagery, be a good soldier, fight the good fight, all that stuff. But he starts by talking about how much he loves him. I mean, the letter starts with, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. He's like, I love you. And he's like, you have a sincere faith, just like your mom, just like your grandma did. And uh, and then every time he gives him a command, there's a resource. He's like, be strengthened by the grace, the kindness of Christ Jesus. And that one got me. So it's not just be strong in Jesus. He's like, no, passively be strengthened by the kindness of Jesus mm. and then go fight. So he always starts from this place of reception wow. and this acknowledgement of neediness this image of yourself as a child. And there's this dear love, like you're loved. I care about you. You're in the safety of the love of God and love of me. Now let's go. Let's ride. And he put, gives him this place of fullness. And first John's the same way. First John terrifies people, right? You know, cause he was like, uh, no one uh, born of God practices sin. And you're like, wait, what, what, you know, but then you go back to the top and he says, but if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. You're like, oh, okay. So if you say you're without sin, you're sinning. That's a lie. So you are a sinner. So what does this mean, John? <laughs> and he's talking about you don't actively, progressively enjoy what your king came to destroy. But uh, uh, I always think of it like um, saving Private Ryan, Jenny, like the the beach scene. You know, um, uh, there's there's two soldiers on a battlefield. There's the kind that are serene while the bombs are going off, and there's the time kind that are agitated and anxious. And you go, what's the difference? Well, one is dead and one's alive. Uh, A dead person doesn't flinch when a bullet hits the wall. They don't jump when a bomb Mm. goes off. It's the person who's alive that is the most conscious of the battle. And so I talk to so many people that 
they're aware of their struggle with sin. They're aware of the fact that they're struggling. And they think that struggle means they're not alive in Christ. Maybe I'm not really saved. And I'm like, no, actually, it's the spiritually dead who aren't aware of the battle. Your struggle is one of your greatest evidences that you're actually alive because it's alive people who struggle. Yeah. Uh, spiritually dead people aren't bothered by sin. Like, yeah, it's fine. It's what I do. It's Wednesday. It's what I do on Wednesday. But <laughs> um, people who are alive in Christ suddenly become aware. There's this whole battle. And I'm losing and I'm getting nailed. And you're like, yeah, but God has resourced you, equipped you, you're loved, run with us, flee and pursue along with us and let's go. And uh, that encourages me. Mm. Is this a life message for you? I feel like it should be because I, I feel like you, even in your preaching, like you're kind of both these things. Yes. I mean, I was thinking about it today, Jenny, like um, I wrote this, the first part of what became this book 20 years ago. Just, just, but I was living in Dallas and just struggling with like, what do I think about how God is working in my life? And, and it was so impactful for me to know, like the tragedies in my life don't have to define my story. Life is hard. That's why I feel the struggle, but there can be progress. It was so meaningful to me. And then we were going to the village church in its early days when Matt Chandler had taken over his pastor. It was, it was nuts. The whole place was crazy growing. There's no seats. And, you know, there's like six services. So Matt would call like, hey, can you preach for me? I'm like, no, dude, like I, I can't keep my voice for six services. <laughs> but uh, I, I did three, three Sundays in a row for him. And it was me writing this real time. Like, I'm just going to share what God's doing in my life. And this may go nowhere. And to watch people resonate with it, their struggle, but progress. I was like, okay, this is something that's not just for Ben. This is hope that people need. And um, so someone just asked me today, how long have you been working on this book? I'm like, I don't know, two decades? Like not really, but like in my life, yes, it's a life message. And so um, hopefully it did in a way that makes sense. This Christmas season, I wanted to give a gift to my loved ones that makes them feel special and unique, just like the relationship that we have. That's why I'm giving everyone I care about StoryWorth. StoryWorth is offering you guys $10 off your first purchase at storyworth.com slash made for this. So you've heard us talk about StoryWorth before, but here's the gist of it. It's an online service that helps a loved one share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. So every week, StoryWorth emails a different prompt to the person that you gifted it to, and it's questions that are really fun and different and unique, and you can edit the questions that they answer. The friend, the loved one, your mother-in-law, whoever's answered the question, you get to see their answer to each of these questions. And reading these weekly stories helps connect you with loved ones no matter how near or far apart you are. Something that is so fun about the story work that I'm doing with my mom this year is she was one of three kids, the youngest of three kids, and she grew up on a farm in Missouri. And there's just a lot about her childhood from when she was little, little that I have never heard before because it's questions that I never thought to ask her, you know? And so every week she sends me these, the answers to her story worth questions and they are so fun and so cute. Gives me a glimpse into her fun personality and some of the different experiences she had growing up. So after a year, StoryWorth will compile all the stories, pictures, everything that they submit into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. And you can even order multiple copies for your siblings or your kids or other relatives. It's going to be so neat for my sister and I to have a copy of this book that my mom is creating through these questions and we can keep it forever to read to our own kids. 
With StoryWorth, I'm giving those I love most a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to StoryWorth.com slash this and save $10 on your first purchase. That's StoryWorth.com slash this to save $10 on your first purchase. And now, back to Jenny. I want to talk about your kids for a minute because I think sometimes we can see this better in them than we do ourselves. But do you see them go to shame? Is that easy for them? One of them for sure. Yes, definitely. And it is interesting for me to see being the parent, kind of to see. I don't say when people are like, I didn't know what love was. So you had kids. I'm like, that's not a fair state. Like Paul didn't have kids. And I think he figured out love. Like he wrote 1 Corinthians 13. So don't (laughs) overstate it. But it did become easier for me to understand God's fatherly love for me, regardless of capacity or performance, when I saw my love for my kids. Mm -hmm. And probably the most profound thing for me as it relates to this subject, Jenny, with my kids, is I I thought about it of like, what's what's the worst thing someone could do to me? It would be for them to cup the face of one of my little daughters and tell them, your dad's disappointed in you. Mm. You're not enough. You're a failure. Like, like I, I imagine someone doing that and I get furious. Yeah. And I think that is what the enemy does to us. That's the deception of James chapter one, when he's talking about temptation, he says, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from your father above who, in whom there's no changing or shifting. He's like the deception the, the lie that launches a million sins yeah. is that your God is not a good dad who loves you. And uh, so much devastation comes at the back end of that lie. And so for me, seeing my children helps me go, man, I'm not going to commit the sin of having a low view of the fatherly love of God for Ben. And I want my kids to find it easier to believe in the fatherly love of God because they're seeing it through me. They're seeing me be kind to them, gracious, and I'm trying. You're in a very driven city. Everybody around you is very driven. Young church, zealots move to DC, right? (laughs) Yes, they do. (laughs) So, So when you write a book out of your life and you're ministering to them and it's called Rest and War, what do you picture the result being? Like think of one of your people in, in your body and what would you want them to know or how would you want them to live because of this work? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm definitely in a driven city and it's one where you can move from driven to disillusioned really fast mm. because maybe the why is not significant enough for all the what's that you're doing. Mm. And I think meaninglessness stalks the millennial and younger. And I watch that for them, the loss of a bigger story. So they're searching for one. And I want them to see the big story of you have a God who fought for you. And then he calls you into this great fight for the sake of others. It's not just about building your little kingdom for your power and your glory. Cause you see some of them get it and you go, what was it all for? And, uh, but you can use the gifts God gave you to serve other people. And, And you can do it in politics as public service, but it sort of rescues you from that tyranny of self absorption. That's so common now. But if I can say, no, my, my gifts are for the common good to help others flourish. I've created an environment where the people around me I'm influencing flourish under God. I watch that put hope back in them. Yeah. 
And uh, I just want that for them. I see a lot of people that are missing a bigger story. And so they're missing hope and all the anxiety and anger. You stew in it long enough, it becomes apathy. You just become numb. And I don't want numb young people. I want them to be alive. And I do love the city because you don't have to, they're not donkeys. You got to kick to get moving. They're horses that are already running. I'm just trying to aim them at the best of all causes and, mm. and let them know they're, they're loved at the very outset. You're not out here earning love. You already got it. And now we, we work to cultivate the love that's been given to us. And so a, a lot of them here, it, it was funny. I'll tell you this. Um, when I first got here, I met a guy, he works at a, a newspaper here and I was just wanted to learn about the city. So I said, man, tell me about DC. Like, what's it like? And he was like, well, it's a lot of young people with father wounds desperately searching for approval from someone. I was like, whoa, I thought, I thought you were going to say like where the nicest coffee shops were. I was like, I didn't know we were going this deep. But he's like, man, it's all of this effort is to fill a vacancy. And so, boy, the city needs the gospel. So it's never boring, never yeah. boring to preach it here. I think about this topic and, and I remember one of my professors, one of my favorite ones used to always say, embrace the tension. And I feel like there's a little bit of tension in this rest and war. And I think tension is hard to hold, right? Like it's a hard uh, thing to navigate. And and would you say that that is true and and that it requires kind of both and to do it? Oh, yeah. I think it's the grace of God has to help us, right? To hold together grace and truth. How do I hold together what's true, but then love people? That culture is having a hard time with that. Yeah. And then how do I run and maximize my gifts, but not burn out and rest. And that's where I think all the language of scripture of us being like children or like sheep is helpful because you go, man, I, I need someone to guide me or I'll, I'll abuse this. I'll make a mess of this somehow. You know, so for me, you know, Jenny, I mean, I ministers break, they break morally, they break emotionally because they tend to overextend. I broke physically. I, I literally broke my back because I just never took breaks. Go, 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 go. And uh, had to spend months in recovery. And uh, I remember laying on the floor, I couldn't walk and thinking Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Wow. And I thought, man, I just never thought of that as like a violent verb. <laughs> <laughs> but, but over the course of months, he restored my soul. He's just like, wow. why are you doing what you're doing? And I realized when the Lord is my shepherd, there will be days like Jesus where you minister all day and all night. And then the next day you'll retreat into the wilderness and sit in the approval and delight of your father. But it's only when the Lord's shepherding you. So whenever people who know Jesus be like, man, I'm so busy, whatever, I'm like, then is the Lord shepherding you or is your ego or your insecurity? Because when something else is shepherding you, you're going to break. Like it's just not going to work, you know? Yeah. Is there somebody in your life that comes to mind when you think of these two words lived out in that tension? I think it's a there's rare, probably a lot. but I think I, you, so, you're yeah. going to say there's a lot, but I was about to say, I think it's a rare, beautiful thing to, to, to live out of both urgency and yeah. rest. Oh, I think it's absolutely rare. I, I say a lot because you know, one of the things I think about a lot for me, Jenny, is I've just had the benefit of so many great mentors. Yeah. So I whenever know. I preach, I'm like, this is a stewardship of what's been given to me. Yeah. But I have one friend. Yeah. He, he um, was a sex addict terrible devastation in his life from bad choices that, that stemmed from a very traumatic childhood. But when I met him, he was older and just had that presence of someone who has been in a long, hard fight 
and was enjoying a hard won piece. He was just the most even keeled, like so in touch with his frailty. Yeah. But but didn't use as an excuse to sort of stew in it. He was like, no, I can be honest about my sin, even in the moment of, hey, I said that because I was insecure. I'm like, wow, you're just so comfortable, like confessing your frailty, but you don't dwell in it. You have this action-oriented posture where you go, I can acknowledge the pain of my past. I can acknowledge the wrong things I did today, but I don't let those destroy me. I, I actually, by sloughing off these resentments, I keep the cycle short. I don't spend years stewing in resentment. I, I process release and move forward. I'm like, this guy, we had a counselor tell Don and I this once, he said, you want to walk elegantly to the battlefield of life. Mm. And this was that friend. I'm like, you're in touch with your depravity, but it doesn't run your story. You walk elegantly to the battlefield of life. And I'm trying to be that. Yeah. I think <laughs> all of us are. And I think there is, I, what I love about it is that rest is so essential for the urgency that that I think a lot of us feel right now in ministry and for the world. And so will you just pray for the people listening that think either one is hard, right? Maybe they've been living in legalism and shame, or maybe they've been living in license and and not actually participating in the work that God wants them to. Just pray for both, both people that are listening right now. Absolutely. Well, Father, I want to thank you for everybody who is listening to us and just pray you bless what Jenny is doing here, what you've put in her hands. And I pray for every person who's listening. They are beautiful because they're made in your image. And I pray they would know that regardless of capacity or activity, they have value in your image. And I pray they would rest in that. And everybody is desperately broken because of sin. Your, Your brokenness does not isolate you from us. It just proves you're one of us. But thank you, God, that you have done something decisive about that. So I pray for anybody who hasn't put their faith in Jesus, this could be that moment where they say, I need a shepherd. I am harassed and helpless. I am a sheep without a shepherd. And so may the compassionate shepherd Jesus come and lead me. And then Lord, I pray we would follow him and follow him into the fight of using the gifts you gave us to create flourishing in the world. I pray none of us would slump back into watching hours tick by and waste the precious moments you've given us to influence our friends, our neighbors, our peers, our family for good. You've given us a mouth to speak and hands to move. May we be a force for good in the world, redemptive in our actions and activities. And then Lord, help us know how to do what Paul told Timothy to do. Just at every moment say, but uh, God, I need to be strengthened by your kindness and your grace because I fail a million times and Lord help me uh, never in the least to slacken in my fight against my corruption, no matter how unsuccessful I may be. Uh, I just pray, Lord, we wouldn't get discouraged. We all struggle. We will struggle, but there's progress and much good can be done when we don't lose heart. So I pray, Lord, some would be motivated to move, to make a difference in the world. And I pray others would be motivated to sit and to rest and to bask in the unfiltered, unmitigated love of their heavenly father. So help us find that rhythm, God, by your grace. We need it. And the world needs people who live like that. And may we be counted among them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jenny and Ben Stewart. 
I remember when I was in college at Texas A&M getting to hear from Ben at the time, who was leading a ministry at Texas A&M called Breakaway. And I just remember the way that he poured into me at such a formative time in my life. I will always be so grateful. And you don't want to miss his books, you guys. The conversation today was a lot about his upcoming book called Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. That comes out January 25th. You can pre-order that now. And then he also has a book called Single, Dating, Engaged, Married. Very, very good. Highly recommend that. And we will put all the links in the show notes so you can get all those books from Ben. Thank y'all so much for listening. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast.